Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Tanya Marie Dubay. Born into the foster care system, living in eight homes before the age of two, and who was once homeless for six years, starting at the age of 12, Tanya Marie Dubay is a show host, a motivational speaker, published author, and online educator. She has a powerful podcast for entrepreneurs called What It Takes, and a business teaching high-performing women entrepreneurs how to grow their businesses faster through collaboration and building deep and influential relationships with their audiences through her unparalleled Mighty Influence Mastermind. She's trained as a results coach with Tony Robbins and has been coaching for 28 years with a background in human behavior psychology. Find out more at tanyadubay.com. You're about to hear an amazing story of strength, resilience, and transformation. I'm chatting with my friend Tanya, who overcame some amazing odds and is using what she's learned to help others move through their life struggles. You're about to hear how hopeful and beautiful life becomes when you take your biggest challenges and allow them to reveal your greatest gifts. Here's Tanya. Okay, everybody, you are in for such a treat. You know, you know when you, you meet somebody and you don't even know them long, but you feel like you've been friends forever. Well, you're going to meet my friend, Tanya. And that's how I feel. We just had the most amazing conversation and I just decided I wanted to be her friend, whether she liked it or not. And we had a great conversation about so many different things, but she's so interesting. I had to bring her on. So welcome, Tanya. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. This is awesome. I'm, I'm excited for what's going to come today. We're going to talk about a lot of things because, of course, the show is from Betrayal to Breakthrough, and it has, it's all about betrayal and all different types of betrayal. And you happen to have a very unique betrayal story as far as your early beginnings. Can you share some of that? I can, yeah. So um, do you want me to start from the beginning? Let's start from the beginning. <laughs> the beginning of time. Okay, so um, I was born into the foster care system and I was in seven different foster homes by the time I was two years old. And then um, from two years old until 10 years old, I lived with this family who decided to fight to keep me and to take, you know, go to court every single year to keep me in this home. And so they became my mother and my father, respectively. Um, they were grandparent age and I grew up with their grandchildren. So they became my nanny and my papa. So, you know, with our friendship going forward, anytime you ever hear me refer to grandparents or nanny and papa, it's, it's these really special people who chose to, to keep me and to raise me. So I went from that situation at 10 years old to, you know, my mother getting married and um, marrying a not so nice man. I, um, I feel like she put me sort of in the, in the lion's den, if you will. He was a pedophile. He was violent. He was uh, verbally, mentally, emotionally abusive. I went through all of that and I had the choice to continue to live inside of that or to leave. And so when I was 12 years old, um, after I just suffered a severe beating from my mother, I had $18 saved up and I stood at my front door and I looked over at my mother who was holding my sister and I looked out the window and I was like, just run. So I took off and I ran for my life and my mother was chasing me down the street and with $18 in my pocket, I then effectively became a homeless street kid at 12 years old. So because I was very academic my whole life and I really pushed to continue school, that was such a big deal for me. I, um, you know, I did everything I could just to make sure I was in school. So from 12 until 18 years old, I lived on and off the streets. I've lived 
you know, in churches, I've lived uh, in cars, I've lived in basements, under beds, in closets. <laughs> I mean, you name it, I was doing everything I could to just stay in school and keep my grades up. Because in my mind, you know, I, I just felt like if I could just I had a like a suicidal moment at 12, you know, when all of this happened and I just was faced with not knowing what was going to become of me. I kept thinking someone's going to steal me. And I didn't know about human trafficking or anything like that at that age, but I just had this feeling like like what do I do? Like I was like this little mouse, you know, in this big city. So I you know, I, I've always been very connected to my intuition and not really understanding, you know, what it is. I, I remember feeling like, just hold on till you're 18, if you can just make it till you're 18. So as I started getting physically bigger, you know, more like a woman, I couldn't really slip in and out of my friend's basements anymore. And I made the decision at 16 years old, right before turning 17, that it was time for me to quit school and just forge my path. So on my exit interview um, with my guidance counselor, my my guidance counselor was really upset, but I needed to wait till I was 16 so I wouldn't be shuffled through the foster care system again because at 16, you're legally able to emancipate yourself from most situations. <laughs> so I figured 16 was a good age and I had my head on my shoulders. And so he gave me a psychology 101 textbook and he was like, you know, if nothing else, just please read this. Like he just thought it was going to be the end of me, right? Um, so I took this book and fast forward. Now I have an apartment. I have no furniture, <laughs> but I have an apartment and I have a job and I'm thrilled to pieces and I'm, I'm sitting in my kitchen. I remember I did not cook to save my life and I was making like Ichiban noodles and I'm sitting there eating them. And I had this little table with this little pink ghetto blaster and some tapes sitting on the table and this book and this book had been, this psych book had been calling me for <laughs> for months and finally I was like okay fine I'll just read it so I started to open it and read it and you know as the law of attraction would have it which is not anything I knew about back then but as the law of attraction would have it everything I was learning I would then meet the person who needed to hear it so I became a life coach at like 17 years old and didn't really even know it and I thought this is really kind of cool like every time I read a chapter or a piece of you know this way of thinking or you know the school of thought or you know how to even put this into practice here is this person like while well, I'm waiting at the bus stop or you know I'm on my break at work or you know whatever it was but they were coming to me in droves and I thought wow isn't this the way to really learn something is by teaching it. You know, you said so many things and I would be doing everyone a huge disservice if we didn't go back a little bit and okay. unpack some of some of what you said. So like just even I just want to know what was what was going through your mind? Like what did you make out of your experiences by the time you were 12? How did you process all of that? What were you thinking and, and how did you well, like what, what were some of the things you were saying to yourself? Mm. So when I grew up in that foster home that kept me for eight years from two to 10, my foster father, my papa, used to always sit down and he'd say to me, you know, you're, you know, you, this is what your mom is going through. She's, you know, she is addicted to drugs. She does go out all the time. She's a very young mother. You can only, you know, hope to get what you can from her, but don't have crazy expectations. So my point in telling you that is that he used to like give it to me straight and he would just be like, this is the way your life is. And you have two choices. You can either, you know, like understand it and use it and grow from it, or you can be slammed by it. And and so, of course, he always like pushed me and nurtured me in the way of becoming stronger. So by the time all of that had happened to me at 12 years old, you know, I remember looking at my mother and my stepfather thinking like, this is not my life. Like, these are not my people. And I, and I kind of, you know, at that age, I kind of looked down on their choices because I'd had such a strong home base when I lived with my nanny and my papa that living with these two people who were so 
not capable of, of keeping their life together. I mean, it just didn't affect me as it probably might if I was raised with them being like that with me, but I was able to, you know, I had some distance from them. So I don't want to say I looked down on them, but I kind of did at that age. Like I was like, well, you're not my nanny and papa, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) They really set the bar for excellence in all kinds of ways. And they were very blue collar people. You know, they were very real, uh, very in touch with their emotions, but you know, really, um, really real. And they encouraged me to be vulnerable and be real too. So by the time this happened to me at 12, I mean, I was really smart. I'd won every spelling bee. I was, you know, my grades were super high, like 97% on everything I did. Education meant a lot to me because it was one of the only things that I could control, right? I had like the outcome there and I was very connected to Catholicism at the time. I was like the highest soprano in my school, which meant I I went to a Catholic school. So I was the highest soprano in my church choir. So I was very involved with church. Um, I'm not a religious person now, but I'm very, very spiritual. And and that guided me too that, that connection to God when I was a kid. So, yeah. Yeah. And now what about your friends? Did your friends know what, what you were going through or so how did you, how did you manage that one? Well, I mean, they knew that I was slipping in and out of their houses, you know, at night, but it was mostly like me knocking at your house in the middle of the night because I had nowhere else to go. So my friends would just let me in. And then in the morning when they would, everyone would get up and go to school, you know, my friends were like, eat something and then meet you at school. (laughs) So that's how I still made it to school in time, right? Is, is just kind of like waiting till everybody left the house and then showering or eating. And I'd be very careful about how much I ate and, you know, taking a little bit off the top of everything. You know, it was like that we didn't really talk about it. It's funny. I talk, I have a 14 year old daughter and I talk to her about the stuff. What do you share with your friends? Like, what do you guys talk about? Mm -hmm. And they don't really get into the details of family problems ever. Like they don't really discuss this. And I, and I can relate to that. When I was little, if a friend said, is everything okay at home? I would just say no, but we didn't really get into it. It wasn't until I got older that my friends started to understand domestic violence and, you know, uh, we didn't have much of a sex ed class, but when that started happening, you know, kids started talking a little bit more about this stuff, but, but yeah. And then were, were your friends' parents curious why you were sleeping over a lot? Well, they didn't know. They didn't know I was there. Okay. That was the thing. On the couple of occasions, I mean, I've got some harrowing stories, but I remember this one family when I was, uh, I think I was around 14 years old. Yeah, I was 14 years old. This one family, a guy friend of mine, not a boyfriend, but a boyfriend, um, I was over at his house and he had told his parents that I was having some problems at home and, and alluded to the violence. And the mother and the father came downstairs, we're all in the basement hanging out, and the mother and father came downstairs and asked to speak with me. So I went to go talk to them and they're like, your mom needs to know where you are for sure. Your mom is really, probably really missing you and going out of her mind. And I was like, no, please don't let them know where I am. Like it was, it was scary for me because they threatened to put me in all of these weird kinds of places, um, like juvenile detention centers. And I didn't belong in a place like that. I wasn't a bad kid, you know, bad in quotes. I wasn't stealing. I wasn't hurting anyone. I was really the victim of this entire situation. And she had tried to put me a couple of times into places like this. So I knew what they were like inside because I'd had tours. Um, but yeah, so that uh, that set of parents were just convinced that they were right and my mom would want to know. 
And uh, they called my mother to tell her where I was and my mother sent the police and they tried to lock me up in this weird group home in the middle of the city, which had lockdown and I managed to get away from that. Like it was one betrayal after the next with, yeah. with this particular person. Yeah. So, so, you know, it, it's so common in betrayal that we take it personally and we just think, I mean, and I always say, and my listeners know, even though it happened to you, it's not about you. How do you not take this personally? How did you have the, like the strength, the wherewithal to know it's really them and they're coming from this limited perspective or insight and it's not me. How did, how were you able to do that? Well, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, I didn't do that well at all. You know, I, I totally took it personally. My self-worth was just down the toilet. I mean, I had invited in all kinds of bad boyfriends because of this, all kinds of negative energy. I never could really bond with women very well when I was younger. Um, so my parents also moved me around a lot. So I was in like 11 different homes or sorry, 11 different schools, 11 to somewhere between 11 and 18 different schools by the time I was 18 years old. So I know, so they moved me around a lot. So I wasn't even really able to make friends very much. So, I mean, I was a very academic kid. So you'd find me in the library, you'd find me working in the lunchroom. So I didn't have to talk to people. Like I became very introverted from a really young age. And then I became really good at sports and I was an actor for a while and all of these things that I could do, you know, just get the energy out and just try to be in some capacity. But yeah, I totally took it personally. And, and for a long time, it, it really cut to the core of who I was. It stopped me from being able to, to breathe properly and just to exist. It wasn't until I, many years later, um, I started digging into my spirituality. I had you know, decided that I had no place for God in my life for a very long time because of these things that had happened to me. Um, and then I, I came full circle back around to spirituality. And, and I started to realize, you know, that I am a soul in a human body having a human experience so that my soul can learn lessons through the experiences and grow. The only way we can grow is if we go through something. So I had to shift my perspective on, you know, my life and what I had gone through and then going back to, you know, reading that psychology textbook and meeting people who needed to know the information. I started to think, what if my experiences are not for me? What if my experiences, I'm given them because I'm strong enough to handle them, and now I'm supposed to help other people with the lessons that I've learned? What if that's the whole purpose? So that empowering thing spun everything on its head, and it wasn't until after my mom, my mom had passed away from breast cancer when I was 27. So when she had passed away from breast cancer, I wasn't in a great place with her. I did take care of her at the end of her life, but I mean, there was no conversations about what had happened. Um, which is okay. That's, I mean, I came to terms with that, but it wasn't until this level of spirituality that I started to see her as a soul in a human body that couldn't find her way and she didn't have the resources. And, and there's a lot of empathy and compassion that goes into stuff like that, right? So it wasn't really, I mean, to be perfectly honest, it wasn't until the last, um, I don't know, like eight years of my life, really, that I came to terms with this. I'm 45 now. You know, it's, it's a long journey of holding that big, you know, bag of bricks on my back as I'm walking through life. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so amazing because, you know, someone looks at one person can look at, at those experience, those experiences and say, well, you know, I have every right to just feel this, that, and the other thing and just be in that, the victim role and all that goes with it. And here you are just realizing, and this is the gift of spirituality. And, and I'm a huge, uh, I'm very spiritual myself for exactly that reason it gives you a way to make sense and meaning out of things that make no sense. 
you know, and it, it's, it's so incredibly helpful. Was there, were there any certain practices or any authors or any thought leaders that, that really seemed to help you? Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. So, so one of the practices that I started when I was still going through all of this stuff was, was I remember when I was 12, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen to me. (laughs) You know, is someone going to kill me in the middle of the night? I slept under trees sometimes. Like I just didn't know what was going to happen. So when I would wake up in the morning, my very first thought was, okay, okay. I get to do this again. Right. Like I was so grateful to open my eyes and to be able to do it. So that's something I've carried through into my life now. That level of gratitude really puts a microscope on what's good and what's positive. Um, because there is crappy things in life that we have to deal with and without the tools, they feel really heavy. So starting your day with that gratitude practice is fantastic. As I got older, that gratitude practice turned into three things I'm grateful for when I wake up in the morning in my journal, and then three things at night that I'm grateful for when I go to bed. And I also at night will write out, you know, things that I could have, like, I feel like I could have shown up for myself better or shown up for my family members better, just to make a note of it, not to judge myself, but just to know that, you know, these are areas areas that I have let slip or I could do a little bit better. But the gratitude piece for me is is huge. And it's not to say that you can't want more and better in your life. It's just to say that, you know, for all the reasons that I can be grateful for being alive, I am. I love that you said that because I think so many of us get a little tripped up with gratitude or we say, you know, how can I be grateful? I'm so miserable or whatever it is. But waking up and being able, just being able to wake up. I mean, right there, there's your first one. taking that breath. There's your second one. So there it's definitely, and what it does to your mind and to your stress response and so much more. So it's, it's great. What else did you do? So I got from Gabby Bernstein is huge for me and I Mm -hmm. love her path and I've never had, um, you know, I, I believe she's, you know, gone through a drug maybe and alcohol addiction. And that's, that's the foray into her spirituality. For me, it wasn't that for me. I had, you know, if I'm going to be honest, I would look back and think I had an addiction to feeling um, like I needed to be in control of everything all the time. That's a real addiction, (laughs) you know? So I really, um, I really like her a lot. So one of the things she has always said that I love that I do fall back on when something feels heavy and it feels like it's starting to implode, I have to take a look and see what it is I'm trying to control. Because if I'm trying to control the outcome of something, I'm not letting it organically happen. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you want a hug from your partner, say you want to hug from your partner, don't sit there waiting for them to hug you and then get angry if they don't hug you kind of thing, right? You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a really simple example of that. But, you know, she also says, you know, always pray or meditate for the best thing for everybody. The greatest good for all is what she says. And I, that has really helped me too, because in the victim mentality of, you know, especially as a kid, not really understanding growth and spirituality and, you know, all of this stuff, um, it's easy to victimize yourself and stay stuck in that victim mentality. I think that when you start meditating for, you know, what's the greatest good for everybody involved in the situation, it elevates you to a position of, um, total empowerment and leadership. You're stepping right into your leadership and saying, I got control over this. I'm okay. You know, another thing I do, I don't know if you know about EFT tapping. Mm-hmm. I love tapping it. I do love. I don't always do the full 
you know, the full thing. I do sometimes, but this little space here, I'm pointing between my ring finger and my pinky finger, that little space of skin right in between those two. Um, I've been taught to tap here when things feel really out of control because it's just a different kind of a place, I right? never heard of that space right there to tap. Uh-huh. So tapping... Karate chop point, the side of yep. the eye, the, the inner eye, side of the eye, under the, the eye, the top of the head, nose, under the mouth, collarbone, collarbone under, under the, the arm. arm, top of the head. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this little piece here is really great for if you're ever wow. in public and you need to do tapping and you can't, you don't want to do the whole thing. Um, this little space in between the ring finger and the pinky finger and tapping and just repeating over and over, I am okay. I'm safe everything's going to be fine. I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe. And just like tapping through there. Wow. That feeling of groundingness into safety when you're feeling out of control um, is remarkable for me. Anytime that I feel completely out of control and everything's kind of like imploding and I don't know what to do, always with a good night's sleep, we wake up the next morning and we're like, okay, maybe this isn't so bad. <laughs> so tapping in this space is like that for me. It brings me back down to reality and makes me realize maybe I'm making too big of the situation or if it is huge, let's say it is a huge situation, I need to bring it in and just calm down a little bit. So you really, you just rub in between. No, those I'm tapping. Two, tapping, okay, right there. Tap in between, in between the ring finger and the pinky finger. And this little, this little yeah. base right here that connects your two fingers, that's and where I... And you feel a diff, you'll feel a big change just by doing Yeah, that. because it reminds me to take deep breaths and I'm just telling myself I feel safe, everything is okay. Um, I think that the fear of, you know, whenever we're going through something really difficult, we go right to the worst case scenario immediately. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to, mm -hmm. you know, speak to logic or reasoning, but we go right to the worst possible thing. So then ask yourself, you know, while you're tapping and taking deep breaths and saying, I'm safe, what is the worst case scenario? Really, what is the worst case scenario? Is it real? Can it actually happen? If not, I got to let it go. Mm -hmm. If it can actually happen, what steps can I take? you know, to, to make sense of this or to make it work in my favor. Again, it's a little bit about control. What I'm thinking about is when I was going through my divorce, um, you know, one of the biggest fears when you've never been through court before and you don't really know what's coming is that someone's going to take your kids away from you. Like you just go right into the space of I'm going to lose my children. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, you know, so tapping like that and asking myself, what's the worst case scenario right now was that scenario. My children are going to get taken from me. And then I ask myself logically, can my children be taken from me? Like the answer is no. So calm down a little bit. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then you go into the deep breathing and I'm safe. I'm safe. Everything's okay. Nothing's really happening right now. I'm okay. Um, bringing it back down to reality is so useful. That's great. So, so far you mentioned gratitude, uh, Gabby's work, Gabby Bernstein, a lot of the things that she said, tapping on that place that I never even considered tapping there. Never heard of that, which is wonderful. Mm. And then asking yourself, is it real? And am I safe and things like that? That's great. Mm -hmm. So those seem to be the, the things that you did that really turned things around. Was there anything else you remember? As, yeah, sure. As a kid, I mean, I, every time I could catch Oprah, I would watch mm -hmm. Oprah. Oprah, because I didn't have um, a mother figure in my life, my, you know, my foster mother's now not in my life and I'm really trying to survive. Every time I could catch Oprah, I would watch her because there were things about her that I thought, wouldn't that be great if I could be those things? And then someone along the line, I'm pretty sure I got this idea from somebody, but I was instructed to make a list 
of like, like a two column list. One was all the things that makes Oprah, you know, amazing. So whoever your role model is in life or somebody that you emulate or would like to, you know, you know, be like, if you could um, make a list of all their characteristics and what makes them super strong and brave and smart and, you know, tenacious and, you know, all the things about them. And then in the next column, write all, all of your things. They don't have to be the same, but just write them all down. Um, and then you compare the two and whatever is left on Oprah's list are the things I need to work on. <laughs> if I want to be like that, I got to work on those things. And so I would, you know, um, tell myself I was those things until I actually was those things, mm. you know, and that's how I, you know, learned how to be a woman really. Uh, I owe it all to Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. What do you, it, when you now look back at that 12 year old version of yourself, what do you wish she would have known, felt, believed? Um, let me say before I answer that question that this is something I've had to revisit in my adult life and, and learn about the self-limiting beliefs and the fears of life and fear of, you know, um, the outcome of things or rejection or abandonment or all the things that happened with betrayal. I had to really check in with my 12-year-old self and be like, okay, you know what? Thank you for the love and the support and you're always looking out for me but i don't in my adult life i don't want my 12 year old driving my bus mm. right so i've had to do a lot of check-ins with that 12 year old and just be like you know i have to be grateful for this side of myself trying to further protect myself from things that feel scary but i had to kind of say goodbye to that 12 year old child too because i'm good now like i'm solid i i believe that i can conquer things they're not always easy you know it's not always perfect it's not always easy but i have so many more skills to rely on now because i I choose to see my experiences as lessons that I needed in order to grow, right? So that empowering piece has now given me some distance from the 12 year old hurt child. So um, I'm sorry, can you ask me the question again? Yeah, about yeah, it's really just it. now from this empowered, wise, strong place, would you have looking back at that version of you, what do you wish you would have known that you see so clearly now? I mean, it um, helps you grow and become who you are. So it's all. Uh -huh. for good. So I know it's, it, it, and it's not a trick question. I, it just, nope. came, so I just want to ask you. No, I've thought about this a lot. I think that because I was in survival mode for so long, not taking the time to breathe and to, um, and to calm down. I mean, it's a hard thing to say because at 12 to 18, you're still a child just trying to not, you know, get taken by someone or, you know, you don't know how to trust people yet. You're still learning these things. Right. But I think that I would tell myself that, it's, it's this, you know, this is all just part of the things that I needed to grow. You know, it was a very, very young age to go through all of those things, but the things that I've been able to do with my life since going through those things, how many people I've been able to help through really hard times or, you know, help solve problems with, or, you know, I've had people tell me that I've saved their lives because I've been at the exact, like right there at that intersection, right where they were and had a conversation that was moving. And that's only because of the stuff that I've gone through right? And that deep introspection. So I think I would want to, you know, hug that little 12 year old and just be like, it's going to work out. That was my biggest fear. I feel like I was in fight or flight mode for a very, very long time, which as we all know, is very taxing on our bodies, right? It's, but, it's taxing on, on our, our bodies, on our mental, emotional wellness too. So as you were healing, did you, and speaking of that, did you notice, like, how did you feel as you were, as you were healing? Did you notice like a lightness, a 
freedom. What, what did you, what let you know, I'm really working through this. This stuff works. I'm really feeling better. Oh my goodness. Okay. So starting with the spiritual practice when I was in my thirties, I, you know, that's when I started having children. I had my daughter at 30, my son at 35. Um, I, well, I'll tell you it, it all, it all started because my son, when he could start speaking said, I'm so happy I picked you. (laughs) And I was like, what? <laughs> What's mm-hmm. that now? <laughs> so that sent me on this spiritual journey, mm-hmm. right? So what I was noticing is when I put my focus and my attention into my personal development, I didn't have a lot of room to be thinking about, oh, woe is me. Yeah. So that was the first thing that made me feel lighter. Um, also, during that time, like I'm still very much a people person. If you were to watch me in the street, you'll see me talking to strangers all the time. Um, people open up really fast to me and I feel like, um, you know, this has been part of my ability to heal is putting the focus on people who need it when they need it and not turning my back on humanity and thinking that's not my problem or whatever. So that's been very healing for me as well. Um, but did I feel, yeah, I felt, you know, with, with daily meditation and putting things into perspective, the moment that I really knew that I was healing was when I didn't like hate my mother anymore. Mm. Right. When I could see her as, um, as a woman going through, you know, her own journey, her own life journey. I mean, we have all of these emotional attachments in this life that I think get us really stuck. You know, when I was going through my divorce at the very beginning, I felt justified in hating him and blaming him and not, I mean, I was always able to see my, my piece of it in some capacity, but in my mind, it was all his fault. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so what I started to, to learn was if I can own it and be accountable for pieces of it, that makes it so much easier to get through. Does that make sense? You take your power back. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and I just want to make sure I ask you this, what do you want to make sure everyone knows as we wrap up? Oh my goodness. Um, I think the most important thing is to remember that as a soul in this human body going through this, you know, very human experience, you have to remember that you're calling in experiences based on where your perspective lies. So your reality, in my opinion, is very much shaped by what's going on in your head. So work on your personal development. You know, don't don't hold on to these life experiences like they're so debilitating that you're paralyzed and can't move forward. Just understand it's all part of the growth process, right? I always say it's like reading a book. You know, we don't want to get stuck in chapter two because we didn't like what she said. We want to finish the book, right? So it's kind of, it's kind of like that with our human experiences. If we can look at it from a bird's eye view, you know, why would we get stuck on one chapter? It's hard. Yes. But you are in control. You're in the driver's seat of learning how to, to give yourself the tools and the skills to get out of it. And I love your perspective. And I know personally, I look at it like anybody who's going through some really hard things is here to do some really big things. Otherwise, we never would have chosen it. And I know it sounds so crazy, but I'm with you. I I think that we've come here to to do some big stuff. And these experiences give us an opportunity uh, to to really show us who we are, do something really good with something really bad. So mm-hmm. I, I, or really challenging. So I, I love that you're sharing all of that. So where do we go to learn, learn more about you and all the great stuff you do? Oh my goodness. So you can head over to my website, tanyadube.com. Um, so that's T-A-N-Y-A-D-U-B-E.com. I've got all kinds of stuff over there you can look at. <laughs> um, and yeah, I would love to hear from anybody who has listened to this interview and wants to you know, share any ideas or anything they're going through. But um, yeah, more importantly, I love hearing how people get through things and maneuver. I love, I love all of that. So I'd welcome it. 
Oh, it's great. And Tanya, I want to thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for your insight. I know all the listeners are just gaining so much from what you shared. And I'm just so grateful to, uh, to have met you and, and shared this time with you. Thank you so much. This was an honor to be here. Thank you. Wow. Being a little kid and just trying to stay safe as the goal is pretty intense. And as you can tell from that conversation, Tanya is one strong, insightful, and amazing woman. Stay in touch with her by going to tanyadebay.com, and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. Everyone has their own recipe for healing, and Tanya is no exception. She used a combination of gratitude, meditation, learning from thought leaders in the area of spirituality, and she found Gabby Bernstein especially helpful, and tapping EFT to help her feel grounded and safe. It doesn't matter what you do, but it's important to find what uniquely works for you. When you do, you'll see that slowly and surely you'll begin to heal and you'll notice it by how much lighter, freer, and happier you become. Of course, we can help you with that. If you're struggling with symptoms, be sure to take the post-betrayal syndrome quiz to see what may be lingering for you at the pbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. And have you checked out the new PBT Institute membership community? Imagine everything you'd ever need to become your physical, mental, emotional best. Community, support, certified coaches and practitioners you could schedule time with, daily classes on all kinds of interesting topics, curated experts teaching advanced strategies in the areas of health, mindset, spirituality, personal development. Imagine the most friendly, welcoming, and supportive place to become your best all online. Nothing like this exists, and I'm so excited to welcome you. Just go to thepbtinstitute.com forward slash join to learn more. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time, and here's to your breakthrough. <music>